It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. I do appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons such as Daniel, Jocelyn, Gary, Trent, Marlon, Nick, Lori, Catherine, Monica, and Les. Thank you very much for uh, supporting me and supporting the show. They help make it possible. You can as well. And you get stuff. So you get exclusive content, access to the live streams. You get the prep sheet. It's got all the links to all the topics that I talk about. And you can get it all at thepetecalendarshow.com. There is a link up at the top of the page there. So just click on that. Uh, also, Growers Hemp. They are the newest sponsor of the program. Today's show is presented by Growers Hemp. These are North Carolina farmers uh, that have decided to control the entire CBD making process from seed all the way to shelf. And that means you get better quality, you get better pricing on it, and you're supporting North Carolina farmers. Um, so I take CBD drops. I take a couple of these drops before I go to bed and I sleep more deeply than I ever did before in my life. I've always been one of these people. It takes a while to fall asleep. And then throughout the night, I wake up a bunch. I toss and turn a lot. And since I started taking the CBD from, uh, Grower's Hemp, I have not had any of that, uh, any of those problems. So Grower's Hemp full spectrum hemp extract. Add it to your daily routine and then let me know how it goes for you. Are you looking for a better quality of life, immune system resilience, deeper sleep, lower tension, right? Go check out growershemp.com. And if you use the promo code Pete, you'll get 20% off. All right, here is the disclaimer that GovCo requires me to say. The statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and these efficacy of the, excuse me. I don't want to mess this up because if I mess it up, GovCo can get very mad about this. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research, and these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider, so consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Maybe I should turn that into a song. Maybe a jingle. I'll have to do a, a disclaimer jingle. Um... Yeah, I'm just spitballing here. There are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. Okay, I can like I can I can think outside the box on this stuff. Growershemp.com promo code Pete from North Carolina farmers to your home. Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. So W R A L. This is the TV station in Raleigh. They cover a lot of politics, but it's a uh, I think they're an NBC affiliate. It's a you know local television station, but they have always been. Uh, one of the 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 heavyweights when it comes to North Carolina state politics because they're right there in Raleigh and they've got their you know the capital um, was it I, I forget what they call themselves but the, the the they got the capital team so they got like dedicated reporters that cover politics for them and uh, and, and then they you know they push this content out all across the state uh, they along with the News and Observer and the Associated Press. They're the they're the heavies in the state. So they have the ability to drive a story into the public consciousness in a way that most other outlets do not. And with that, uh, that platform comes great responsibility with that influence comes great responsibility, which is why I beat them up over their editorials and 
their corporate ownership structure. Because if you want people to believe that you are credible and you want people to trust the things that you're reporting to them, then that credibility comes from the top. WRAL is owned by the Capital Broadcasting Corporation, I think is maybe company, CBC. And this is uh, owned by uh, an individual, Jim Goodman, who donates tons of money to leftists all around the state. And the purpose is to drive policy goals that are of the left. Now, you may think, well, that's a separate thing and that's not what the newsroom does. Uh, However, there was, you know, the leaked email that got out that showed uh, there actually is coordination that occurs between the editorial department and the news department. But um, because, of course, there is, by the way, of course, there is some level of understanding about what the editorialists are doing and what the newsroom is doing and vice versa. Right. They 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 are all they're all under the same corporate shop. So you can't tell me they're all ignorant of what the other ones are doing. OK, so that's the first thing. The second thing is you can't tell me that the culture in the newsroom isn't somehow influenced by the corporate culture itself, because of course it is. All newsrooms have cultures. They all do. There, And the culture is made up of the people that are in it and the people that are in charge, the rules and the standards that they go by. Right. All of that stuff has influence. This show has its own culture. I mean, it's me. So however uncultured I might be, that's how uncultured the show is. Um, but the thing, like, think if I was running a newsroom, right? I would put my mark on it. I would put my brand on it. And my brand would be, you know, I want uh, various viewpoints. I want ideological diversity, like that kind of thing. If it was me running a newsroom. Now, if it's somebody else running a newsroom, their brand is going to be different. So uh, when Jim Goodman and uh, his his company... When they run WRAL, when they own WRAL, right, and they go out and hire somebody to write editorials to express the position of the parent company and to draw political cartoons that express, uh, you know, opinions about politics uh, that get the blessing and editorial stamp of approval from the parent company, you can't tell me that has no impact. But for the sake of this show, I will say today, let's assume that it doesn't. Let's assume that what the news reporters say, like, oh, there's this wall between us and the editorial people. Like, let's assume that's all true. I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say that what they're telling me is true, that there's absolutely no bleed over uh, from editorial and corporate culture into the newsroom and the decisions that they make uh, Uh, on the stories they cover and how they're covered. Fine. Let's, I'll give them that. And I'm, I'm I'm getting to a point here on this, believe me. Okay. It's just, I have time. I can, I can take my time to get there. So you have, uh, let's assume this is the case. You have this wall between the two uh, divisions. WRAL has employed a standard in their news departments. Now I'm strictly talking about news. They have employed a standard that if anybody says something that is um, of a conspiratorial nature, that is offensive, that is, ooh, double plus on good. That's not, well, why, why would somebody say that? That's not a good thing to say. Oh, I don't like that. And so when someone says something like that or tweets something or puts it on their Facebook post or attends a meeting with somebody, WRAL standard is to go out, 
find people that are associated with that double plus ungood speaker and get them to condemn or to defend that speaker. That's the standard. For example, Madison Cawthorn says something, and then the uh, WRAL folks will go out and say, hey, do you agree with Madison Cawthorn? Now, this has not happened, by the way. This is not, I've made up that standard. But there are standards like this. There's a state lawmaker who said something about conspiracy theories about Trump and the election, and Travis Fain, one of their capital reporters, went out and uh, sent emails to all of the Republican lawmakers. Do you know that he said this? Here's what he said. What do you say to this? What's your response? Do you disavow or defend? There is a constant drumbeat in media to get Republicans to disavow or defend. This game has been going on for years, for years. I don't even know how long. Virtually, I think, I don't know if it was going on actually at the beginning of my career. Maybe I just wasn't that aware of it 20 years ago. But within the last 10, 15 years, it's the norm. Anytime something happens, and this is why I say, you know, when the scandal involves a Democrat, The story is the Republican response to the scandal. When a scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal, right? That's the standard. That's the difference. And so now you've got this standard where if if a Republican says something, that's the scandal. And then you go and you try to tar every Republican for what this other guy said. So you got one Republican who's like, I think the earth is flat. And then you run off to get every other Republican on the record to either agree or disagree, to disavow or defend. And the WRAL, just, Travis Fain did it this morning. He literally did it this morning as I was rage tweeting at WRAL. Okay, I was not even planning to talk about this, but it ties into the, the topic of the previous two episodes, which is about the uh, State Board of Education taking up these social studies and history standards, the revision of these standards. And as I've outlined in the previous episodes, critical race theory is embedded in these standards. This is what the Republicans on the Board of Education were upset about, when they, they were opposed to. And they would say things they never called a critical race theory. They never went right at it head on, which I would have, but uh, they did not. And, and I don't know why. Maybe they did not know that the tone that they kept citing, like this tone of the standards, maybe they didn't realize where the tone was coming from, but that's where it was coming from, was critical race theory. And so they they expressed their opposition to the tone, which paints all of America and its history and its founders and everybody as the oppressors, right? That they have that they have this original sin of racism and slavery, and then they can never basically get past it. This is critical race theory. This idea that America, uh, as a uh, you know, the legal system and the institutions were all born of the original sin of slavery and racism, and so therefore it all is corrupted by the racism. It's institutional. It's systemic, and so the only way. Uh, to confront it is to tear it down. You've got to t- dismantle these in- this infrastructure, these systems. And if you're not doing that, then that means you are complicit in the racism, okay? And so that's the tone that they were identifying. And as such, they were like, we think you should be talking, I don't know, a little bit more about the stuff that unifies us. Because what is the purpose of education? We were talking about this yesterday. What is the purpose of education? Is it, uh, you know, to get kids to learn how to read and write and have a mutual understanding, a shared idea of what the concept of America is all about and what we were founded on? Or is it to divide us along racial and gender and ethnic lines? So we're constantly 
waging war against one another based on our group identity. If that's the point, critical race theory is definitely the way to go. But if you are of the minds that you want everybody to be unified in this higher ideal of what it is America is supposed to be about, then uh, then no, critical race theory doesn't do a very good job to get you there. Okay, so when the Board of Education is saying these things like we don't like the tone of these standards, this is what they're getting at. The Board of Education is set to adopt, or I guess they're going to vote on these standards in a day or two, two days from now. And this, and so this was the topic, or the focus, I should say, of the editorial cartoon that was drawn by the Capital Broadcast Company editorial division. This political cartoon by Dennis Draw, I don't even know how to, Drawen, Drawen, D-R-A-U-G-H-O-N, Drawn. Anyway, Dennis Drawn is, oh, well, that's an interesting name for a cartoonist. Drawn? That's, I mean, that's actually a pretty good name for a cartoonist. Dennis Drawn. (laughs) If that is. Anyway, um, here's the latest from editorial cartoonist Dennis Drawn called History's Lessons. And I will describe for you this image. It is an elephant wearing a clan's robe. KKK hood, KKK robe. And it says GOP members state school board right on the chest, on the elephant's chest. And the elephant is holding a sheet of paper that says new inclusive NC social studies standards. And then it's got a big red X through the line, uh, all of the the standards, like like all the body of text that outlines all the standards. And then they've drawn, you know, drew an X through it. New inclusive Social studies standards, so he's xing them all out. Aha! See, he doesn't really want the uh, the, stu- the the standards to be inclusive. And as I went over the other day, this is how the left controls the debate through the control of the language. Right? They get to define the terms. So now you're arguing. Well, who doesn't want to be inclusive? Well, nobody would argue not to. Nobody would be, well, let's exclude these people from history. That wasn't what the argument was over. But that's how the left frames it, and so the media regurgitates it dutifully. So you get the idea of what this image is? Elephant wearing the clan, the KKK attire, holding this sheet that says new inclusive North Carolina social studies standards with a big X through it all. And then the elephant is saying, we prefer to start with a clean sheet. That's the joke. Get it? Because the Republicans are KKK members. I swear to God, like, you can take your artistic paintbrushes and your pens and pencils, you can turn them sideways and cram the... Okay, never mind. Um, if they if they couldn't call their opponents racist, I'm not exactly sure how they would argue any of their positions. It's gotten... These people have gotten so lazy. By the way, this this cartoonist, old white guy, old white guy, and this is important. For, for a very specific reason. Do you know who's on the Board of Education? Who the Republican members on the Board of Education are? Well, I do. And if you were listening to the previous episodes, you have a pretty good idea too, which makes this cartoon all the more disgusting. It's all the more disgusting. 
I'll explain in a minute. If you are trying to get your house sold and it's not getting sold, you're probably pretty disgusted too. Then get yourself a fantastic real estate agent, Rowena Patton. That's my real estate agent. Uh, Christy and I are using her to get our house. And uh, if you're looking to sell, she has buyers already lined up. If you're looking to buy, she has homes in all price points. Christy and I are doing a build so it's in a development. So we get to make some choices on some, you know, finishes and the like. And Rowena was very helpful when we were getting started asking questions we did not even know we needed to ask. So put her and her all-star powerhouse team to work for you. The phone number is 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. And give her a call, tell her I sent you, and then start packing. So the editorial comes out, or this editorial cartoon comes out, and it depicts the Republican members on the Board of Education as members of the KKK and that they are members of the Klan. And that's why they are against, quote, inclusive standards. OK, so there are two big lies here. Number one is that the Republicans are Klansmen, obviously, number one. Number two is that they're opposed to, quote, inclusive standards. That's not what the standards are about. And that's not what critical race theory is about either, by the way. Critical race theory is not about inclusiveness. It's about divisiveness. It is when you view everything through a racial lens first, it is by default divisive because you are segregating people rather than saying hey we are all you know americans and as we as as americans these are the things that bind us together now i'm not saying you ignore all of the contributions of you know people of color and and women and everything like i'm not saying you ignore that absolutely not you know why here you go because they're americans too see how that works they're Americans. So you include th their contributions to history and historical events and such as well, right? I'm not opposed to inclusive, uh, inclusiveness or inclusivity. None of the board members were either. So you got two lies that this cartoonist is promulgating here. One, that the Board of Ed uh, Republican members are members of the Klan. And number two, that they're against inclusivity. Here's what's most egregiously disgusting about this is that the Board of Education members who are Republicans, there are three of them in particular here. Number one, Mark Robinson. He's a black guy. He's actually the first black lieutenant governor elected ever in North Carolina. He's a Republican. He's a conservative. He's black. And you're calling him a Klansman. Number one. Number two, Olivia Oxendine, Dr. Oxendine. She's Lumbee. She's a Native American. And you call her a Klan's uh, member as well. Klansman, Klanswoman. Like, how dare you, old white dude, how dare you call a black man and an Indian woman members of the KKK because you disagree with them on policy? You disagree with critical race theory, whether it should or shouldn't be taught or embedded into the uh, the standards in North Carolina. And so you call them racists? You call, I mean, think about what that means to call a black person a member of the KKK. What the Klan has done to black people throughout history, and you're going to label a black guy as part of that group? How, like, how dare you? Are you, or are you just ignorant about the things that you're drawing about? You're just ignorant about these topics upon which you comment. 
I don't know. I don't know which is worse. And what is worse is that this cartoon passed some sort of editorial process. Somebody else saw this cartoon before it got published. Somebody else saw this and tweeted it. There are multiple levels and people in the Capital Broadcast Company in that operation that laid eyes on this cartoon and thought, okay, yeah, oh yeah, that looks good. The third board member, by the way, is a woman named Amy White. And, oh yeah, I know, well, Amy White. Just the name. Yeah, I mean, just the name, right? Last name White, obviously, KKK. Um, but Amy White is uh, the executive director of an organization called Community of Hope Ministries. This uh, organization was awarded the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dream in Action Award in 2017. The work that she has been doing earned her an award and her organization an award named after Martin Luther King. And this is the woman who is smeared as a member of the KKK by a political cartoonist employed by Jim Goodman at Carolina at the Capital Broadcast Company. By the way, also employed as part of this editorial uh, division is, as I've mentioned before, uh, Seth Efron, who is the guy who writes their stupid editorials. Uh, which is basically like three editorials, and he just keeps rewriting them and republishing them. It's all, you know, Republicans need to do what Democrats want, you know, version 8023. And uh, he just keeps publishing them over and over again. Seth Efron was the former communications guy for Bev Perdue and Mike Easley, two former Democratic governors. And amazingly enough, everything he writes is about how Democrats are awesome and Republicans suck and how Republicans need to go along with whatever the Democrats want to do in the spirit of unity. That's the organization's mouthpiece. That is the corporate structure's mouthpiece. He is speaking uh, for the voice. He is the voice of that corporate culture, of that business. And we're supposed to believe that WRAL has nothing to do with any of that, that there's no bleed over going on. As I said, for the sake of this episode, will say, okay, fine, let's assume that to be the case. But your standard at WRAL is to go and interview people and ask them to uh, disavow or to defend people who say racisty things. This is the standard you're, you've employed for years. You employed it this very day. Travis Fain, the reporter, this very day, as I was tweeting these things out, like I said, uh, this is, I, I called it um, mendacity. It's just, it's disgusting. Um, I said, uh, WRAL and its ownership can take their race baiting bigotry and go straight to hell. Like I, like this is so disgusting to me. And here's the other thing too. The political left and the media allies are doing such damage to our society with this kind of garbage I'm not sure if they realize it, but it is beyond the point now where polite 
response is warranted. I'm done being polite to this kind of mendacity. That's what it is. These are these are lies. The guy's got two lies built into this one cartoon, and images are powerful. Words are powerful. You put this kind of crap out there, right? What These same people who are, t- who are talking about incitement, what do you think it does to people on the left when they are fed a constant diet of Republicans are literally the Klan? What do you think that does to their psychological... Uh, disposition. What do you think, what posture would they adopt when they're constantly told by what they assume to be credible media organizations that the Republicans are literally the KKK? Do you think the average WRAL uh, viewer or, or I don't even know, it's a political cartoon, like where are you even seeing this? Just at the website? Is that where, that's the only place this gets published? But um, I mean, like, guess what? I, I don't watch Raleigh television. So what? Are they going to run the, the cartoon? Do they put it up during the newscast? Hey, here's our political cartoon. They just leave it up there for people to look at. But who do you think is seeing that? And what do you think they are walking away thinking afterwards? Do you think they know that Mark Robinson was on the Board of Education? Do you think they know about Oxendine? Do you think they know about White? Do you think they know about these three people that I've just explained to you? Do you think they know that? No, of course not. They don't know who the Board of Education members are. They don't know what this cartoon leaves everything out of relevance. And all it does is promote a single narrative that Republicans are literally the Klan. And what do you think that does to somebody when they are told by an organization, by a media company, that they're supposed to be able to trust is not lying to them, right? What do you think it does to their posture in regards to Republicans. If you believe that Republicans are literally the KKK, wouldn't you be morally and ethically, civically compelled to take actions against them? Or is this just another way that the left gets to say stuff that doesn't incite violence? You know, like, your speech is violence. If you are on the right, your speech is literally violence. Their violence is just speech. Is that the standard here? I am so sick and tired of your double standard on this stuff. You guys don't get to call people members of the Klan and walk away as if it's just, you know, well, it's just he's making a satirical point. No, no, no. You guys have been very, very concerned about hyperbole. So where where's the hand wringing and the pearl clutching from the Travis Fanes and the Laura Leslie's, all these reporters who are like, oh, so very concerned about how Donald Trump inspired people to go attack the Capitol. Where are these people today? Where is the 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 disavowing or the uh, or the defending of this cartoon? I have not seen it yet. Maybe they will get around to it. Maybe they will. I, I don't think so, but maybe they will. Um. They should be called upon to adhere to the same standard that they set for everybody else. Now, I don't. I, the, the problem is here, I have no way to force them to abide by their own standards. Standards which, by the way, I'm not necessarily in agreement with. I, I don't necessarily, like when people say, well, Pete, you know, so-and-so said this. Are you going to disavow it? Like, first off, screw you. Why would you think I have to disavow anything that somebody else said? That's not on me. I didn't say that thing. I say a lot of stuff every single day. I'm only responsible for the stuff that I say. This guilt by association garbage standard is only applied when convenient, when it is used as a a weapon 
against a particular target. We all know it, and I'm sick of it. And these people need to take some sort of accountability for the corrosive effect that they are having on our society. Because they are. You can't tell half of the population that they're literally being targeted by the Klan. That half of the country is literally the Klan that's coming to lynch them. Because that's what the Klan does, people. Oh, I see. So we're not supposed to take that impression from the cartoon when the elephant is dressed up like a Klansman? That the, oh, no, it's the, those are the Klansmen that don't do any of the violence. I didn't mean that he was going to go, that these people are trying to lynch people. I didn't mean that. Well, that's the way it comes across when you start painting them literally as members of the Klan. The damage you are doing is irreparable. It is disgusting. You are grotesque. Be better. Be better Americans. Be better human beings. Pretend that the standard you're living by is the one you want others to live by. Uh, speaking of living by standards, uh, Old Grouch's military surplus. They have got all sorts of equipment that is real U.S. military surplus up to U.S. military standards. That's what you get. You don't get like, it's a lot of places that sell, quote, surplus. It's not really surplus. They're just like, Chinese-made knockoffs, and uh, they're not up to the specs that the U.S. military requires. So go on into Old Grouch's military surplus and get the real stuff. Uh, winter is here. Cold weather is here. He's got tons of gear. If you are a camper, a hiker, um, or you work outside and you need some good quality uh, cold weather gear, like, you know, Gore-Tex jackets, wool socks, toboggans. Uh, he's got military field jackets as well in solid green and in camo. The kids love these things. Um, also, wool sweaters. Um, you can get it all at Old Grouch's Military Surplus backpacks as well. Ammo cans. Uh, he's got Kevlar. He's got first aid kits, which, uh, by the way, first aid kits a must if you are a hiker or a camper. People who go out hiking and camping without first aid kits, like, I don't understand. Like, what are you going to do? If, God forbid, something happens, you're not going to be prepared for an emergency. So you get together a kit. It's very you, They don't have to be big. Just, you know, some emergency supplies. And if you ever need them, you're going to be prepared. So go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Uh, it is in downtown Clyde on Main Street, as it has been for three decades. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. So this is uh, where this kind of, I'm going to show you where this kind of thinking leads, this critical race theory and viewing everything uh, through the racial lens, right? This requirement that everything get views, uh, gets viewed through the racism prism, it leads to utter dumbassery, okay? Like this, San Francisco, there is a, a public school teacher, Ingrid Sire Ochi. And she wrote a piece for the San Francisco Chronicle arguing that Bernie Sanders, the uh, the image of him from the inauguration where he's sitting on the chair and he's all bundled up and he's got his hands crossed over in front of him. Right. That that uh, that image well, specifically the mittens. Right. This is evidence of white supremacy. That's what I'm going to read to her. This is the passage. This is a passage from this stupidity. Okay. She wrote this. She published this. Somebody else read this piece and said, yes, we should publish this. And it wasn't the onion or the Babylon Bee either. Like, that's what's really amazing. 
Here's what she says, quote, We've been studying diversity and discrimination in the United States. My students were ready. What did they see? They saw a white man in a puffy jacket and huge mittens, distant not only in his social distancing, but in his demeanor and attire. A wealthy, incredibly well-educated and privileged white man showing up for perhaps the most important ritual of the decade in a puffy jacket and huge mittens. Senator Sanders is no white supremacist insurrectionist, but he manifests privilege, white privilege, male privilege, and class privilege in ways that my students could see and feel. I don't know how many poor or working class or female or struggling to be taken seriously folk who would show up at the inauguration of our 46th president dressed like Bernie. What what also is completely ignored here is Bernie Sanders, and here I am, I curse you for making me defend Bernie Sanders, <clears throat> but what's ignored here is Bernie Sanders' entire life's work. You notice that? This is the this is the danger of this racial reductionism is that it forces you to ignore everything else that the person has done. Everything else that makes that human being an individual that makes their life precious and valuable and worthwhile, all you see is the race and the gender, yes. All you see is a white guy. And that's all you need to know. And you've constructed all of these attributes about this guy. And then you've said somehow that you're the victim here because you would never be allowed to wear a puffy coat and mittens to such an event. First off, that's not true, okay? Because there were people, I watched the inauguration, there were people wearing all sorts of, uh, you know, puffy clothing because it was really cold, right? Like, that's the other thing that's going on here, too. John Sexton at HotAir.com, he's like, let me offer uh, an explanation here. Bernie Sanders was cold. It was in the 30s, and it was really windy, and the wind chill made it feel like uh, much colder. Bernie Sanders is 79 years old, so he cannot shrug off a long time, uh, sorry, yeah, can't shrug off a long time spent sitting in the cold the way somebody 39 years old could. So he wore a heavy winter jacket and he wore big mittens so he could keep warm and he folded his legs and his arms to try to keep the heat in. By the way, he has worn this same jacket before, that big puffy jacket. There are photos of him out on the campaign trail in cold weather. That's his winter coat. He's wearing his winter coat. It's not white supremacy to just wear a winter coat and mittens while you're sitting at a really cold outdoor event. And... I feel like a moron just saying this, but this is how stupid of a time we live in. That someone who's in charge of educating children, and this is what critical race theory gets you people, this is why the Board of Education is talking against these types of standards. Because this is the stupidity that comes from it. This level of dumbassery is galactic. I, I mean, like, it's impressive. How stupid this person is. And it is terrifying how many minds they have infected over the course of their years as a, quote, educator. It's terrifying. The writer is criticizing Bernie Sanders for not what? For not dressing like a rich person? That that's the sign of white supremacy and your privilege is to not dress up 
at the inauguration. If he had worn an expensive suit or an overcoat, right, with the matching gloves, would, would that have been less indicative of white supremacy than the winter coat and mittens? Like, th- this is why when the other day, uh, James Ford, who uh, is a Board of Education member who was all in on the, he's all about the, uh, the critical race theory standards, and he's like, you know, who is this divisive to? Who sees this as divisive? This is how it's divisive. Right. Because what did Bernie Sanders, what did that image actually do? Think about it. Like, you you know, the image, right? Where did you see the image? Everywhere. Right. <laughs> it was everywhere. People were photoshopping this thing and putting it everywhere. It was showing up in all sorts of pictures. Right. And it was a comical meme. And it unified people, even people who don't like Bernie Sanders saw it as comical. And, oh, here's Bernie, you know, in all of these famous locations in world history and stuff. Like, this little Photoshop of Bernie all bundled up with his legs crossed and his mask on, right? Which, by the way, that, yes, he should have wore a hat. You're really trying to keep in your body heat. You wear a hat. Um, that was a unifying thing. It's like, can't we even just have one moment when everybody recognizes some comedic value or just the the image that something cuts here for us and it's like, Huh, that's funny. That's comical. I like that. And it's not, yes, he's a politician, but it's not political. It's just something that we can all join together over. And you want to destroy that. You want to now make that some sort of symbol of white supremacy. Mittens are racist now. Mittens and a puffy jacket are signs of white supremacy because nobody else could have done that. That's not true, first of all. Second of all, as I mentioned earlier, um, you're discounting his entire uh, record, his entire life's work, which is he's 79 years old and he's been in Washington, D.C. for decades. And when you're that old, my understanding is you get to do whatever you want. I thought that's like that's what I'm looking forward to is getting so old that uh, I can do whatever I want and nobody can say anything. I thought that was one of the privileges that comes with being old. So, yes, I guess it is privilege, but it's not white privilege. It's old person privilege. When you're that old, you get to say stupid things like, oh, that's just crazy old Bernie. I mean, look, at he's been talking about socialist stuff for years and everybody says that's just crazy old Bernie. Right. So. It doesn't doesn't he deserve doesn't he or hasn't he earned I should say I know I'm talking about earning things to a to a socialist and that's anathema but like hasn't he earned the right to wear a big puffy jacket at an outdoor event for a couple hours I think so again curse you for making me defend Bernie Sanders now speaking of Sanders if you're looking for a Sander to get like a particular job done and you need to just like take some uh take a sandpaper across something like you know I really could use a Sander but I don't want to buy a Sander because I don't need it for everything I don't need it I just need it one time this one I need like a belt Sander for this one project well you go to general equipment rental and you can get the tool that you need for that particular job and then you bring it back to them it's just a rental and they'll show you how to use it too so you can do the job with confidence i know that's a big uh obstacle for a lot of people that you know they don't know how to use a tool and they're intimidated by it so you don't have to worry about that the guys at general equipment rental will show you how to use the tool uh and so you're equipped literally uh but not just with the tool but with the information with the knowledge you get the job done go to general equipment rental for all of your equipment rental needs large and small equipment they've got it all from you know earth movers to 
you know, power drills. They've got it all. General Equipment Rental. Go to their website, generalrents.com. They're located in Weaverville. So very convenient uh, to get to. And they, uh, you know, they support the program. And so I ask you to support them for your equipment rental needs. But also, if you're thinking about buying some power equipment, uh, they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Um, and so, like, when we get into our house, uh, I've got to replenish my uh, power equipment uh, stable. And so I'll be going there and I'll be buying all of my stuff from General Equipment Rental. I recommend you do as well. General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox, which does not have a sander in it. Speaking of Senator Sanders, well, speaking of senators, Senator Jeff Jackson, he is a North Carolina state senator, and he would very much like to become the North Carolina U.S. senator uh, to replace Senator Richard Burr, when uh, Burr's term expires next year in 2022, there are already uh, there people are already lining up um, for this race, both sides, Democrat and Republican, uh, because Burr said he's not running for reelection. He is done. And so uh, Jeff Jackson came out. I think he was the first. If he wasn't the first, maybe Erica Smith was first. I forget. Um but uh, this came out, you know, uh, what, about a week ago, I want to say. He made this announcement, and uh, I saw somebody refer to it as he basically, uh, you know, fired the starting gun of the race. And, you know, once some, because what happens is if you wait too long, people start lining up the their support and the, the big money donors, and, and they start getting commitments. And when that happens, and they start um, hiring personnel, and so when you don't have, when you wait too long, you don't have that support structure in place, and your campaign is going to be doomed. So uh, now that everybody is, uh, is once one person starts, I should say, then everybody starts jumping in. And that's where we are right now. So there's a lot of uh, news being made over the last week or so. Jeff Jackson went on to Spectrum News. Full disclosure, I worked for about six months at Spectrum News down in Charlotte. And um, he appeared, I think he made his announcement actually with Tim Boyum, who um, I like Tim. I think he does good work, hosts the uh, like the daily political show in Raleigh. And uh, uh, Tim has Jeff Jackson on to talk about this. And uh, he asked him two questions that I've pulled here. Uh, and the first is a reference to last year's Senate race. This was Cal Cunningham, the Cal Cunningham race. Remember, Jackson was the one who called uh, Senator Chuck Schumer and said he wanted he was thinking about running for Senate then and Schumer said well how are you going to do it tell me what your campaign is going to be like and he said I want to uh, do a, a a statewide tour hit every county and do like town halls in every county and Schumer said wrong answer <laughs> you're going to lock yourself in a windowless basement and you're going to dial for dollars that's all you're going to do is fundraise 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 and Jeff Jackson said he didn't want to do that, and so he didn't run. And um, this became when this got out, this became uh, an attack used against Cal Cunningham because he obviously agreed to that formula. And this created a lot of problems inside the Democratic Party because uh, Chuck Schumer was seen, and he was, I mean, I think rightfully so, legitimately so, picking uh, the candidate for the North Carolina Democratic voters, right? He was putting his thumb on the scale. He was helping one candidate over another. That was Erica Smith, who is a state lawmaker, African-American woman. And that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, especially after Cal Cunningham 
set his entire future and campaign on fire by having the affair with the PR woman from out in California. So uh, Jeff Jackson goes on to Spectrum News, and here are the two questions. So there was a lot of hubbub about that leaked audio when you pitched this to Chuck Schumer, who leads the sentence that he told you to basically stay in a basement. Are are you going to seek the support of the, the DSCC, and do you think they should get involved in this primary? Well, I haven't spoken to Chuck Schumer about this, Senator Schumer. Uh, I don't know what he thinks about it, but I'm going to run this campaign the way that I think it needs to be run, because I think we need to see something different. And that's a 100-county campaign, and that is a North Carolina agenda that's actually tailored to our state and not imported from D.C. or from donors, but something real for us. Right. So that line right there is not imported from D.C. or donors. That's a direct you know, hit on uh, Chuck Schumer and the Democratic uh, Senate, I forget what it was like, the DSC, I think, or something uh, like that, that campaign organization that weighed into the Democrat process uh, back in 2019 for the 2020 race. So that's a direct shot. Okay, so now I don't know, does that endear him to the base enough or does it alienate uh, the national folks enough? Look, if I'm Chuck Schumer, though, like you've, because he even expressed regret at at uh, picking Cal Cunningham after everything uh, <laughs> blew up on them uh, as it did last year. So, you know, if you're Schumer, I got to believe like he's going to understand Jackson has to say that he has to. Right. So if I'm Schumer, I understand that. And no big deal. Run your races. We'll see what happens, I guess. Um, but then listen to this. The uh, Republican Party in the state has already put out a press release, which I'm sure does not surprise you. Their, their, their nickname for you is Cal Jr. Of course, Cal Cunningham ran the last time around. And, and there is talk within Democratic circles about, oh, here's another white guy running. What do you tell the folks in the Democratic Party that may be looking for a more diverse candidate? Um, well, I think you're trying to find a polite way to ask me if I've ever cheated on my wife. Uh, and the answer is no. I haven't. What? And I think that's a fair question, frankly. I mean, after what happened last time around, I think that's a, a totally fair question. So, no, he wasn't asking about <laughs> whether you cheated on your wife. But, uh, okay, thanks for letting us know that. But, I mean, honestly, if you if you had, would you tell us? Like, Cal Cunningham didn't exactly offer up that information either. So, <laughs> just now... Now, uh, after this aired and people started commenting about this on social media, Jackson then went on to the Twitter machine and he says, my fault, Tim, I heard you mention Cal and I assumed you were referencing that scandal. Uh, he says, and so they gave this other answer, which is, I think the questions about diversity are fair and the burden is completely on me to show that I'm a solid advocate for equality. Okay, and then he goes on, talks about uh, some of his, you know, I, I supported this and I supported that, so I'm okay. This question, though, and this gets to the same thing, like viewing everything through the racial prism, right? The Democrats are looking at him and they're seeing white guy uh, from uh, with a military background. And that's what we had with Cal Cunningham. And this idea that that's what you need in order to win uh, in a uh, statewide race like North in North Carolina, in a state like North Carolina, uh, people are now questioning this as the conventional wisdom, whether it applies anymore because of what just happened in Georgia and the U.S. Senate races down in Georgia, where particularly the Reverend Raphael Warnock, uh, uh, right? Warnock? Yeah. Warlock? Warnock. Yeah. Uh, where he won. And uh, if that's possible there, then maybe we don't need to 
try to bring in some white dude with a military background to try to get some of these more conservative uh, blue dog Democrat voters to, to sign up with us over a Republican. Maybe we can find, uh, you know, a black woman, for example, or a black man or a Hispanic woman or a Hispanic man, you know, some non-white person to run for U.S. Senate, and they could potentially win because the thought was that they could not uh, prior to, I guess, this U.S. Senate race. Look, this is not me making this up. This is what is like. I've got a Politico article here. It says Cunningham's defeat, along with the subsequent election of, uh, yes, Senator Raphael Warnock. Uh, has prompted some Democrats to question the party's tactics, including its past heavy-handed approach to primaries. Um, They list here, by the way, some other potential candidates on the Democratic side, and I've got another article here on the Republican side. I'll go over those in a minute. First, I'm going to go over the big sale going on at Mattress Man. This is the tax refund sale. You buy now, you pay later with no interest financing. Okay, so you can sleep on your mattress right away and pay it off when your tax return comes in. You're welcome. Also, the Split King mattress blowout, it continues. You can pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. Um, And remember, the triple zero deal is going on, as it always is, which is zero money down, uh, zero APR for 24 months, so no interest, and zero payments for 90 days. Also, um, it doesn't matter what your credit is, okay? Uh, You need a good night's sleep. And Chuck, the owner, and all the sleep consultants at Mattress Man, they recognize this and understand this. And uh, so they've partnered up with uh, firms so they can get you the mattress, even if you've got some uh, some dings in your credit report. Getting a good night's sleep is too important, okay? Uh, they're not going to let past credit problems get in the way of better health for you. So head on over. they got four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide. They have five-star local delivery service. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee. So experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So some of the other candidates running on the Democratic side, State Attorney General Josh Stein, who won re-election last year, is a potential candidate, according to Politico, although some expect him to wait for the open governor's race in 2024. Anthony Fox, the former Charlotte mayor and uh, the secretary of transportation under the Obama administration, uh, he's been mentioned by Democrats as a sought after candidate, although it's unclear uh, whether he is considering the race after consistently passing in previous elections. Uh, other potential contenders include Anita Earls, the state Supreme Court justice. Uh, I think remember a couple of months ago or yeah, I guess a month or so ago, uh, a couple of domains got purchased for her, you know, Earls for Senate and that sort of thing uh, online. State Senator Sidney Batch, Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles. Uh, this, according to, quote, a Democrat familiar with the dynamics. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but uh, OK. So uh, those are some names being kicked around. Also, Roy Cooper, um, not sure about uh, whether he's interested in running or not. Um, but the former Chief Justice Sherry Beasley, she has apparently hired a new campaign consultant and is preparing to announce her entry into the Democratic primary. Beasley has moved on from her previous consultant, Kimberly Reynolds, uh, former executive director of the North Carolina Democratic Party. Beasley is assembling a new team and an announcement could come in days. This is a report at the Carolina Journal by Dallas Woodhouse, who was the former chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party. Other sources close to former Republican Governor Pat McCrory confirm that McCrory has taken initial steps to run later this year. 
His entry into the race uh, as of today is likely. A source close to McCrory said of the governor, uh, former governor's preparation is that he has moved well past the kicking the tires phase and is into the planning phase. Um, I mentioned Jeff Jackson as well. He's already in there. Democratic consultant Thomas Mills wrote uh, at his Politics NC blog. He's not uh, apparently Thomas is not exactly on board with the Jackson campaign. He says clearly Jackson can't read a room and has a lousy sense of timing. He's jumping into the primary when the energy in the Democratic primary is with women and African-Americans and an African woman is already in the race. That's Erica Smith. And nobody except social media warriors is clamoring for the next election to begin. Within a few weeks, most people will have forgotten that he even announced. Jackson's candidacy reminds everybody, actually, of Cal Cunningham's debacle, which reminded everybody of John Edwards' scandal. And fair or not, North Carolina Democrats are wary of white, telegenic male lawyers with thin resumes. To his credit, Jackson has been in the Senate longer than Cal Cunningham was, but since he spent his time in the legislature in the minority, he has no signature accomplishments. Also, on the Republican side, former Congressman Mark Walker announced his candidacy for the GOP nomination December 1st. He is the only announced Republican in the race so far. Pat McCrory, obviously, I just mentioned, um, and McCrory uh, has the ability, apparently, to raise significant amounts of money. That's what makes him an attractive candidate. Um, also, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, has, uh, his name has been mentioned as a potential candidate. There is the 3rd District Congress, or sorry, 13th District Congressman Ted Budd, who has indicated he's still giving serious consideration to entering the race. And Laura or Lara Trump, Eric uh, Trump's wife, um, that she, her name has been thrown out there as a potential, uh, potential candidate. Although uh, Dallas Woodhouse says events of the last month have made a bid by the daughter-in-law of the former president less likely. So that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I do appreciate it. Uh, remember, go to thepetecalendarshow.com and click the subscribe button. It's right there for you. You can also uh, get the link to become a patron of the program and get exclusive content. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you later and don't break anything while I'm gone. Music.